in three out of four categories of soil, we should really be prepared for disappointment. The seed sown along the path, the rocky soil, that's a total loss. The seed sown among the thorns, it's fruitless at very best. And so we might hear all this and we might wonder if any true benefit will come from sowing the seed of the Word of God. Maybe it's a fruitless pursuit. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, you said three out of four of those categories, uh, we might be prepared or should be prepared for loss. That makes me think that uh, at least there is hope that it is not a fruitless pursuit. Well, that's absolutely right. Jesus is wonderfully realistic in his assessment of the response to his word that can be anticipated. And he, on one level, dampens our expectations. If we're going to be involved in, in sowing the seed of the Word of God, that we're not going to find that everyone responds to that Word with joyful faith and obedience, but there will be some who respond. And that's the great hope. Yes, okay, we've, we've had some of our expectations maybe dampened. We've had a dose of reality, but then comes this great encouragement. There will be those who respond, who, who respond in faith, who grow and who bear fruit. And for for a Bible teacher like myself and others who are involved in bringing the Word to others, that is a huge encouragement. Well, I hope it's an encouragement to you as we open up God's Word today. We're in the book of Matthew chapter 13 as we continue sowing the seed of the kingdom. Here is Jonathan. We like to think that we are in the driver's seat all the time. We like to think that the power resides with us. We like to think of ourselves as masters of our own particular destiny and so on. And of course, we are individually entirely responsible for our personal response to Jesus Christ. Verse 15 speaks of the people's responsibility for their response to the Lord. No one else can be blamed. I mean, notice the language. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. It's been volitional They've chosen this path. They're responsible. But the Bible teaches us, of course, that we are blinded by our sin. And we are indeed slaves to sin. The Bible uses language that strong. Slaves to the sin that we have so willingly embraced. Our minds and hearts in sin are darkened. They have been since the fall. And so having chosen this path corporately as a people... It actually makes profound sense that we need God's help to comprehend the word of Jesus and to accept the kingdom message. We have landed ourselves in an entirely helpless situation in our sin. We have taken ourselves down into a pit from which we cannot climb out on our own. Now, we could philosophize at great length about our freedom and our responsibility in all this. We could probe the workings of divine grace endlessly, but there is a rather more practical point to be made here within this passage, and this is what we need to take away, I think. Here it is. If we or our loved ones are struggling to understand and struggling to accept the Word of Jesus, if the light switch just won't turn on, if it feels like you are hitting a brick wall in terms of your own personal understanding of the kingdom message of the Word of Jesus, here's what we've got to do. We must plead with the Father that He would be gracious and perform that miracle of giving understanding, of opening eyes, of softening hearts. 
We need to plead with him that he would be gracious so as to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to open the eyes of the blind. That's where understanding starts. That's the heart of the issue. You know, we can argue the faith, and you'll have had this experience, I suspect. We can argue the faith with someone who is not yet a believer until we are blue in the face. But if the Father does not bring about a miraculous spiritual work in the heart, nothing is going to happen. There will be no effect. That's one big takeaway from all this. The other for us who believe is this. It's gratitude. It's profound gratitude. You see, if we've come to believe the word of Jesus and understand anything of the teaching of Jesus, the message of Jesus, it is not because, this is so clear from Jesus' teaching here, it is not because we are clever or insightful or intellectually superior or more worthy in some way. It is because of this and this alone. It is because the Father is kind. It is because the Father is gracious. It is because the Father is merciful. It is because we have been made unworthy recipients of the extraordinary grace and blessing of God, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. And blessing, it speaks of a gift given without merit. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If we are those, if you are one who has heard and understood the word of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, if his teaching has reached your heart and you have responded in faith, Jesus says this, not clever are you, blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. And if that's you, if that's us corporately, we have huge cause, not for any pride, no, but for praise. We have reason not to congratulate ourselves, no, not at all, but to return thanks to our gracious Lord for his astounding kindness to us, kindness we could never deserve. If we are saved, it is of grace start to finish. It is the Lord's mercy. It is His mercy alone. You see, we bring nothing to the table, and so we should be a thankful people, a people marked by gratitude above all other things. Now, having shown us His outlook on His teaching, and it's profoundly insightful what Jesus has declared to us, having shown us His outlook on His parables in particular, having shown us the Lord's grace at work within each individual response, Jesus now returns to the parable itself. And so we come to the parable explained. Jesus looks at each type of soil, each group of seed that is sown, and he begins with the seed that is sown along the path. Remember that Jesus said the birds came and they devoured his seed, and, and, and now he gives the spiritual meaning of the picture, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. When there is no understanding, the word has no opportunity to be established, no opportunity to take root in the heart. There may not be opportunity here for life or for growth, for a positive response, but I'll tell you what, the devil sees an opportunity for his purposes 
and for his ends, and he quickly comes to snatch away the seed. He swoops down as a bird with laser-sharp vision, with immaculately honed instincts, with speed and with skill. I don't know if you've seen a bird do that. I guess you probably have. Swoop down to capture what it is it wants and to fly away almost before it's been seen, certainly before anyone can react. It can be a breathtaking sight, actually, to see a bird do that. But as we understand the image and what Jesus is saying here, it should actually send shivers down our spine because what Jesus is revealing for us here is the other aspect, if you like, the dark side of the spiritual reality behind unbelief. If unbelief is on the one hand evidence that the Lord has not bestowed the blessing of understanding, it is also evidence of the devil's active work. You see, he's on a watchful campaign, a never-resting, never-relenting campaign to do whatever is within his power to stop the Word of God from getting into hearts and minds and taking root. He's active in this, energetic, thoughtful, clever, strategic. And so it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to be realistic about that, to see it, to take it very, very seriously in the business of sowing the seed of the Word of God, in the business of hearing the Word of God. There is a spiritual battle taking place, a quiet one, where the devil is working his socks off to ensure that lives remain unimpacted and unchanged by the Word of God. Now, if you're a Christian, as I take it most of us are here, you have a role to play in sowing the seed of the Word of God. You, you sow it in your home and with your family, your children. You sow it as you speak gospel truth to others in the course of conversation and relationships. You sow it if you have a formal teaching role within any ministry within the church or elsewhere. And if you are sowing the Word, and if I am sowing the Word, we need to understand what is going on. We need to understand what is at stake. We need to understand that the evil one, he is watching very, very carefully. As we sow the seed, he is sort of fluttering overhead, observing, scrutinizing what is taking place with eagle eyes, and he's doing his very best, his level best, to snatch away the Word before it can undo his evil work in hearts and lives. And friends, knowing that, it just means we need to be so prayerful, doesn't it? So urgently prayerful that the Lord would cause the seed of His Word to reach hearts and minds and to take root. We need to pray that He would frustrate the devil in His work and cause the Word to prevail. That's the seed sown along the path, but now we come to the seed sown on rocky ground. Remember here the seed, it sprang up but there was not much depth of soil. The sun came out and scorched it. Well, verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Here is the person who, who hears the message of Jesus the gospel of salvation, who doesn't listen for very long or consider it very, very deeply, but like the impulse buyer in the new car showroom, he takes it for a test drive, loves the feel of it, and signs up right then and there with the dealer. He is joyful in what he has found, delighted 
in what he has seen. There's a quick response, a knee-jerk response, but there is no depth of any kind, no root. And when the going gets just a little bit tougher, when the sun comes out, when the temperature starts to rise, when trouble or persecution come on account of the word, when family or colleagues cast that scornful look, as they will, when it becomes socially awkward to name the name of Jesus, when the laws of the land begin to turn against the people of God, immediately that person falls away. You see, friends, what Jesus is showing us here is that an initial response to the Word of God is not always a true response to the Word of God. The true mark of salvation is not initial enthusiasm, thrilling as that may be to see, a quick profession of faith. The key mark of true conversion, it is endurance. And we need to be prepared for the fact that some people, they will make the right noises initially, Some will be initially enthusiastic, but they will actually have no depth of root. For each of us personally, this is, it's searching to consider, isn't it? Have you and I so understood the Word of Jesus? Has His gospel so gripped your heart? Has His love so captivated your soul that you are prepared by His grace to endure come what may? That's the question. That's true conversion. That's true faith. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and part of a message called Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom. Now, we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to this message in just a moment. If you did join us a little bit late, we're in Matthew chapter 13 and continuing our series Living as Kingdom People. And if you've missed any of the broadcast in this larger series, come to the website and listen online. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app, and that's free. You'll find it at your favorite app store. Just simply search for Encounter the Truth, and you can always stay connected with Jonathan's teaching on the go and listen when it fits your schedule that way. Again, just at your favorite app store, look for Encounter the Truth. Let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Next comes the seed sown among thorns. And the thorns, they simply choke the seed, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Here is someone who who hears the word of Jesus, who, who perhaps understands it on some level, who perhaps makes a response of some kind to it. This is the person maybe who grows up in the church and calls herself a Christian, or who gets exposed to the gospel through friends at college, who likes what he hears, who decides to follow Christ, but here's what happens. Life happens. She lands a good job and is busy with her work, making good progress in her career. She maybe gets married, maybe has kids, and, and, and she's tired and sleepless for like a decade, run ragged. Then suddenly she's got teenagers, and she looks back rather wistfully at the run ragged years of the toddler days. This is the young man who takes on education and then a career, maybe a family, a mortgage, a car loan, who has aspirations for a certain level of career advancement, a certain kind of lifestyle, maybe, and he's burdened. She's heavy laden with concern. And while the gospel of Jesus Christ is not explicitly rejected or completely forgotten, here is what happens. It is simply choked out. There's no space 
There's just no time. There's no energy. There's too much to do, too much to take care of, too much to worry about, too much to strive after in this present world, and the gospel just gets nowhere in that life. And friends, I've seen that story repeated again and again and again, and I expect you have too. I'm sure that quite a number here are actually on the way to living that story without care. And in our busy and materialistic and anxious age, I want all of us to hear the warnings of this image and this story because it's so important. I think for us in our particular time and place, this is perhaps the greatest danger of all, that the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word for us. It's a huge danger. It's so perceptive, isn't it, of Jesus to speak of the deceitfulness of riches. It's an interesting turn of phrase, quite eye-catching. It's very shrewd, isn't it? Because that's exactly what riches will do to us. Not only the having of them, but also the longing for them. They will deceive us. They'll lie to us. They will promise us happiness. The sparkling jewel of wealth will glitter before us in our mind's eye, and it will tell us that if we can simply get hold of it, however elusive it may seem, or if we can take hold of more of it than we currently have, life's problems will simply melt away, and contentment will finally be ours. And dazzled by that prospect, what do we do? We run after riches. Their pursuit becomes our all-consuming passion. It drains our time and our energy. It captivates our soul. And the Word of God is not totally forgotten or consciously rejected. It's just choked out, and it becomes unfruitful. It doesn't go anywhere. And in our wealthy society, our comfortable society, I think this is one of the greatest dangers of all for us. See, many will walk away from this time, will walk away from hearing the word and almost immediately be re-immersed as you walk out that door in the pressures of work and the race for advancement. Your phone will start going, some of you, when you get in the car. And to be honest, the pursuit of wealth, you might call it, let's not say the pursuit of wealth, that's a bit crass. Let's call it the pursuit of financial stability. That sounds a bit better, doesn't it? A bit closer to home, right? The pursuit of financial stability. Or, or, or a better life for the family, or whatever you want to call it. But the pursuit of riches is what it is, and, and you won't want to forget about the Word, and you won't be actively rejecting the Word in a conscious way, but the danger will be that the Word is just choked out in your life, and there isn't space. And it doesn't matter, actually, whether you've already attained riches or you're just chasing them. The danger is just the same in the heart. And so hear the warning. That's the seed sown among thorns. Finally, now we come to the seed sown on good soil. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Up until now, Jesus has really been managing our expectations for the effectiveness of the word in three out of four categories of soil. We should really be prepared for disappointment. I think that's what he's telling us. 
The seed sown along the path, the rocky soil, that's a total loss. The seed sown among the thorns, it's fruitless at very best. And so we might hear all this and we might wonder if any of the seed of the Word of God will actually come to anything in the end, if any crop will result, any grain, any fruit, if any true benefit will come from sowing the seed of the Word of God. Maybe it's a fruitless pursuit. But now as we come to the final image and the final category, now we hear about the seed sown on good soil. And we can picture it, of course, rich brown earth. I had 22 cubic yards of it on my driveway. I can see it just now. Good earth, well watered, well drained. And the seed is scattered on this good earth. It soon germinates. It soon puts down deep roots. It grows to bear fruit. And Jesus says in this category, on this soil, the seed will produce a bumper crop, yielding up to 100-fold what was sown. This is an extraordinary yield, especially in that time and place. A marvelous harvest, huge growth, incredible vitality. There will be terrible wastage as the seed is sown and comes to nothing in, in many places. But where the seed takes root, there will, be, there will be incredible growth. There will be a wonderful yield. Now, friends, you and I, we are all listeners to the Word of God. We are all one type of soil or the other at the end of the day. And so here's the question to consider and only only you can know, but what type of soil are you? It's a question, isn't it? What's the nature of your response as you observe it in your own heart to the Word of Jesus? We need to pray, don't we, that the Lord in His kindness will cause us to be good soil. That's the prayer, isn't it, for each of us? That we would be good soil, that there will be room in our heart for the Word to take root and to grow over time steadily and produce fruit in our lives that will be pleasing to the Lord. We're all listeners to the Word, and if we belong to Jesus, we are sowers too. We're those who sow the Word. And as sowers, here is the takeaway. Despite the discouragements, and we've all faced discouragements, we're all probably facing some discouragements in our efforts to sow the seed of the Word of God. Despite the discouragements, friend, just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. There is good soil to be found. We won't know where it is. It'll sometimes surprise us where we find a patch of good soil. But by the grace of God, as we sow the seed, there will be a harvest. The majority of those who hear might do nothing with the word. There's no shock there. We shouldn't be surprised by that. That's what Jesus has told us to expect. But we must prayerfully at the same time expect to find those who will hear, who will listen, who will see, who will repent, who will believe the good news and grow and bear remarkable fruit, bountiful fruit in this life and in the life to come. And so, friend, if you're sowing in your home, in your workplace, among your friends and your family, here within the ministry of the church in some way or other, keep on sowing. Keep going. Despite the discouragements, despite the setbacks, there will be a great harvest in a day yet to come. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we have to pause the message right there, but I hope you'll 
Be with us as we continue this series on our next broadcast. Today we've been wrapping up a message called Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom, part of a larger series, Living as Kingdom People. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, you can listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. That's also free and you'll find it at your favorite app store. It's a great way to stay connected with Jonathan's teaching when you're on the go. Well, as you give a gift and support this ministry, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Bob Lapine. It's called The Four Emotions of Christmas. A lot of us expect Christmas to be a season filled with magic, but so often we experience disappointment. Our deepest longings go unfulfilled, and then we end up often lonely and sad, and that's often amplified because of how out of sync we feel with what the season seems to promise. That's what this book is all about. We'd love to send you a copy as our way of saying thank you for your support. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or again, EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.